0: Good morning. It's good to see each one of you as you're chatting and encouraging one another in the Lord. We've gathered together to worship Him, to encourage one another, and our God is alive. And He is one that saves. He's one that's always with us. So I invite you to stand and let's declare it this morning that our God lives.
1: Where he lay See the stone Roll away He is risen He is risen He's alive See his hands See his feet Touch his skies And believe He is risen He is risen He's alive Oh He's alive All honor and power are His. All glory. This love, can you feel
0: to those to your left and to your right. How about if you go find someone that you don't know or maybe don't talk to that much and say good morning to them. Jesus lives and then you can be seated.
2: Enough of that. <laughs> good morning. God's good, isn't he? All the time. We're super excited to be able to, to gather together, to be able to honor God. We're going to worship God now through giving as the ushers come forward and we honor him with the tithes and offerings that we're putting on our heart to prepare and then enter into a time of just uh, worship through music and worship through study of God's word. So let's pray. God. You're amazing. Everything that you do just blows our mind. The the fact that you would be mindful of us individually and personally provide. And all of these things, God, we, we trust in you. We want to surrender our lives to you. And Lord, as, as just a, a, a token, a, a, a gift of our, our love and appreciation and to honor you, we want to give back to you the first fruits of that which you've given to us. May you receive these offerings in a manner that that honors you, and use these resources for the glory of your kingdom. Father, we also want to offer our lives through worship and and music. May we surrender our hearts to the words of the songs. And Holy Spirit, may you enhance our praises, that they would ring out with the angels in heaven before your throne room of grace. We thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen
0: that our God is alive. He's the God who also saves and He knows us each personally by our name. And so as you're giving this morning, I invite you to listen to the lyrics of these songs and then we'll all join in together and worship our God who saves. Hear the holy roar of God resound
1: Watch want water's part before us now Come and see what he has done for us. Tell the world of his great love. Our God is a God who saves. Our God is a God who saves. Let God arise. Let God arise. Our God Holy roar of God resound
0: Watch the waters park before us now
1: Come and see what he has done for us Tell the world of his great love Our God is a God who saves Our God God arise, let God arise, our God God reigns now and forever, He reigns now and forever, and His enemies will run for sure, And the church will stand, she will endure. He holds the keys of life and death, our Lord, the death and the final sin. Our God is a God who saves. Our God is a God who saves. That's God alright. God, arise! Our God reigns now and forever, He reigns now and forever. God, arise! Let God arise! Our God reigns now and forever, He reigns now and forever. God is a God who saves. Our God is a God who
0: Amen. Yeah, you can give me clap. The lyrics there in that bridge you talk about nations' bows. Nations bow, mountains shake at the mention of his name. That's the awesome God that we serve. He is all powerful, all knowing, and yet at the same time, he's interested in each one of us as individuals. He's our maker, he's our father. He knows our name.
1: I know your every thought. I see each tear that falls, and I hear you whisper.
2: What a powerful truth that is, to consider the fact that God knows us. He knew us before the foundations of the world were ever established, knows us by name, every detail about us. What happens when we forget that truth? What happens when we are not even aware of the God that loves us, that knows our name? The danger is we enter into a condition called hopelessness. Have you ever been there? This place of hopelessness. If I was to ask you, what does hopelessness look like to you? Think about that for a minute. What does hopelessness look like to you? By definition, it's the, the feeling of despair. It's the lack of... Of hope that life would ever get better than it is. What does hopelessness look like? Perhaps it's the feeling that I'm alone and I'll always be alone. Maybe it's the the feeling that I'm helpless and I'll never overcome, that I'm sick. And I'll never be healed. Maybe it's, I'm dying. And I'll never live again. Hopelessness. I can tell you this for sure. This absence of hope leads to to disparity. The condition of disparity is is a continual darkness that overshadows your life. It affects your very being. So the question is, where can I find hope when I'm hopeless? There's only one place, one solution, one person, and that's in Jesus. That's the only place that's there. Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, once said this, With God, life is an endless hope. Without God... Life is a hopeless end. Let me say that again because it's a powerful quote. I want you to think about this. With God, life is an endless hope. Without God, life is a hopeless end. Where are you at today? God is life, and God is hope. And those that find their life in Jesus Christ will never be hopeless. Because the power of God transcends this world in every condition of this world, far beyond our imagination and understanding. It is the power of God that lifts us up, that calls us to arise and to live. And the beauty is, it's not hard to find. You say, well, wait a minute, I've been hopeless for a long time. Well, hope is right before you. Hope is in the presence and the power of God. Hope is in the believer who has been empowered to deliver hope, the message of hope, and to help people come to an awareness of who God is and how much God loves them so that they might arise and live. When we take a look at what Jesus has done, He has empowered us as believers to provide hope. Think about the word hope. H-O-P-E, it's an acronym, Helping Others Prepare for Eternity, H-O-P-E, Helping Others Prepare for Eternity. We provide hope. We are able to bring the presence of God and give hope and to give confidence that you can trust in God because God is trustworthy within that. And Jesus had empowered his disciples to do just that. To go out and to give hope through the message and the gospel to provide hope so that people would arise and live and live in those lives victoriously. Can you have hope in what would be determined as hopeless situations? Sure. You ever met somebody that is risen above a hopeless situation that is full of hope? What's their anchor? Not positive thinking. That ain't going to work. It's not good drugs, although it'll numb you for a while. But well, there's no hope in that, because you always come down. The only place we can find hope is in a future hope, and that's in Christ. So we come to our text this morning. In Acts chapter 9, verses 32 to 43, and we have witnessed how God has called Saul of Tarsus out of the world, and called him into ministry, and and called him, and, and through persecution and such, Saul is sent home to Tarsus. Why? Because people want to kill him. And he's going to go spend about 10 years down in Tarsus, or up in Tarsus, I should say, up in Tarsus, learning everything that he needs to know by the power of the Holy Spirit and Jesus to be able to grow and to be that apostle that he needs to be. So Luke in his narrative now says... This is, this is how the church continued to grow. Saul came to faith, went up to Tarsus, and let's go back and take a look at Peter. And what is Peter doing during this ministry? Because God is still doing ministry through Peter. God uses more than one person to provide hope. And Peter's ministry is going to continue on into the Gentiles. He was last seen serving the Samaritans, a place that Peter never thought he would go. And doing ministry there. Being led by the Holy Spirit. And as he's on his coastal preaching tour, he's going to leave Samaria and he's going to go and he's going to encounter two different people who, by name, are going to experience the power of God to arise and live. He's going to, he's going to meet a paralyzed man in Lydda, he's going to meet a dead woman in Joppa. And as a result of these miracles, God's going to do amazing things. Are you ready for the journey? Let's stand and let's read through the text and see where God's going to lead us. Acts chapter 9, 32 to 43. It says, Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. And all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated in Crete called Dorcas. And this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. Peter arose and went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, turning to the body, and he said, Tabitha. Arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, raised her up, and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa. Many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So what do we see First, Well, we see in verses 32 to 35 that Peter was called in the name of Jesus to go and help the helpless. Missional living means that we are going out on mission. By the way, you're all missionaries. To go out and to help the helpless. You have been given the hope and the power of God unto eternal life. And it is not meant for you to keep it to yourself, but to go and to share it. And so within this, we see, well, Peter is going out. Well, you say, well, how did he do that? How did he know? As he's on this journey, what was moving him? Well, his calling was moving him. The fact that Jesus had trans- translated his life into a, from a fisherman into a, a, a missionary. And he's seeing God do some amazing things. He's energized and he is on this road to Lydda. Well, actually going along the coast. And as he was traveling around this countryside, he was preaching. It was a preaching tour. And one of the things he was doing is he was obeying what God had called him to do. The obedient command to leave Jerusalem. Now, granted, it was much easier to leave Jerusalem and to travel around Samaria in this area. Why? Because he didn't have Saul chasing after him. In fact, we read last week, and the church had peace. They were able to move about in doing this. And to be able to go, he was traveling. Now, we have a map just to kind of orient you to where we're at. So Jerusalem is up here. Peter had gone out into Samaria, and he ministered there. Then he'd gone back to Jerusalem. Then he started traveling what's called the Emmaus Road. Do you remember the Emmaus Road, where Jesus appeared to the two disciples down towards the coast? So he was traveling along, and he comes to this little town of Lydda. To orient yourself, Joppa is right here, Caesarea, Maritima is there. Those of you that have gone to Israel with us have both been in Joppa and in Caesarea. So can you picture it in your mind that we were there? So we had gone, Lydda was a village in what's called the Plains of Sharon. So you have the mountain range that's, that's here and you come off of this mountain range and this is all known as the Plains of Sharon. This is a 50 mile area. And so it was a very fertile land along the coastal area. And so there was a lot of farms and such that was there within that. Alida was about seven or 11 miles from Joppa, not very far. And so he, and he was going on the, this road to Emmaus, very common road, very normal road. And he was going to village to village and being able to teach. And it says that now Peter was he was traveling through this region. He came also to the saints. You say, well, was the Catholic church there? Who were all these saints? When we use the word saint in the Bible, the word is agios. It means holy ones. It doesn't mean that these are people that did miracles and were sanctioned by man or by the church as special saints. In fact, guess what? You're all saints. (laughs) You're like, no, not me. Why are you a saint? Because Jesus has set you apart for His purpose, His holy purpose. That's what makes you holy. Not anything that you've done because I know you. It's all the work that God's done. So you can consider yourself a saint. So husbands, when your wives call you, you're such a saint. You'll know that it was tongue-in-cheek. At any rate, so the sinner that's saved by by Christ... They're a saint. Why? Because their sins have been washed away and they're holy and set apart for God's holy purpose. So Peter is traveling and he comes into Lydda and he finds the saints who are the saints. They're the Christians. Now, you say, well, how did the Christians get to Lydda? There's two ways that they got there. One, they got there because they came out of Jerusalem from the Pentecost revival and they were scattered by Saul. They're like, we're out of here. So they scattered throughout the land. You say, well, persecution's bad. No, persecution's good, because persecution moves you out of your comfort zone and spread the gospel. So what Satan was trying to use to destroy the church, he actually backfired on them. And so we have the Christians that have gone out into the the countryside and the villages that's sharing the gospel. And so we have Christians that are ending up in Lydda. But also, do you remember a guy by the name of Philip? Philip had gone on in a tour, Acts chapter 8, and he had gone through the plains of Sharon and he was sharing the gospel. So we have a church plant that is there in Lydda and all the believers that are gathered into this place. Peter comes across them and he comes across a specific man. In fact, it says that he found this man named Aeneas and it says that he was bedridden for eight years. Now, when you look at the original language, it could be read one of two ways. That he was bedridden for eight years or he was bedridden since the age of eight. Now, that really doesn't make a, a, a lot of difference whether it was since the age of eight or for eight years, and we don't know his age. But the man was paralyzed. Paralyzed. Now, what do paralyzed people do in biblical times? Beg. Beg. Their welfare system was based off of begging and benevolence. The Jewish law demanded that you show benevolence, that you would give gifts to those that were in need. That was a criteria to be a good Jew. And so within this, what would happen is, and as you read the gospel accounts, anybody that was blind, sick, lame, or any of those things would be along the main roads, and then they would beg. Their friends would carry them, set them down, and that was their job begging. Not like our beggars today, but this was their job. It was their welfare system. So the welfare system was set up by God for those that couldn't work to go and rely on the benevolence that was mandated by law. So Aeneas, was there with the believers, and he was, he was begging on this. The other thing that I think is important on the timeline is to understand this is a man that at some point in his time was capable of walking and lost it. Whether it was disease or, or or injury, we're not told. But at some point in time he had the capacity to walk and lost it. Can you imagine that condition? If you couldn't walk, and it says that he was paralyzed. We don't know if it was from shoulders down, hips down, we don't know. But you take a look at this, would that be a hopeless situation? Sure. This is my lot in life. Every day. My friends will carry me. Set me down on the mat. I'll spend my time there. They'll come pick me up. They'll take me back home. They'll have to feed me. They'll have to care for me. They'll have to wash me. This is my lot in life. I am paralyzed. I have no hope. I remember a day when I used to be able to walk. I remember a time when I used to be able to, 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 to go places and take care of myself, but I can't do that anymore. Do you know people like that? You think about that. That's a hopeless situation. And this man, every day was in this condition. Couldn't do for himself. Would have to be brought back and forth. And Peter says, then, there he found this man, bedridden and paralyzed. Then we come to verse 34. Within this, Peter does something amazing. Do you know that God has empowered believers to relieve the suffering of others? God has empowered you to relieve the suffering of others both physically and spiritually. You can bring the presence of God into every situation and relieve that suffering. How do you relieve the suffering? First, you give them hope. And you give them Jesus. Peter does something amazing. He sees this guy and he calls him by name. Now, this is not Peter's first rodeo in healing a paralyzed man. Right? Early on in ministry, we know as he was going up to temple and pray. In Acts chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 and verse 6, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. A man had been lame from his mother's womb and had been carried along, and they used to set him down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. Verse 6, but Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Now, Peter, how did you do that? I've got to tell you, Peter's pretty bold. You know, as a chaplain, as a pastor, and I go into hospitals and I see people that are sick, and I don't think I would walk up to somebody that is crippled up in a, in a chair and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, and yard them out of that chair. I better be convinced that it's a God thing. 34 years of ministry, I've never done that. I'm too scared. But he did it. And I'm sure based on the past experiences that he was capable of doing this. And and you think about this, what caused Peter to see this guy? Empathy. Empathy. Compassion. He saw this man through the eyes of Jesus. And he had witnessed and was trained under Jesus to look at people a certain way. With empathy. To look at them with compassion. To to relate to them in their sorrows. And if you have the power and the capacity to relieve them of that condition, then you do it. He had witnessed Jesus multiple times heal. For three years. He was trained well. And empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that. No different than y'all. You've been trained well. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at people with empathy and compassion. And be open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. To do what needs to be done. In that instance. And in that time. In Luke 7, 13-15. We see Jesus says, When the, the Lord saw her, He felt compassion for her. And said to her, Do not weep. And He came up. "...and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said to this young man, I say, Arise." And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. That was the widow of Nain, who lost her only son. And he knew that this widow had no hope, because the son was the only means of income and support for her. And Jesus had compassion on her, and he went and touched the coffin, and he said, Arise." And returned the son to her. Luke chapter 13 verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And that happened time and time again. What has Jesus set you free of? How has Jesus restored your hope? Because it's that same capacity that you're capable of of being able to provide hope for others. And that is our pastoral ministry. And you're all pastors. Shepherds. You can show that kind of compassion that is there. And that's that compassion that's been founded on on salvation. So what does Peter do? He comes. And he calls this man by name. And he says, get up. It's interesting the terms that he used. Because he did it just like Jesus. If you look at it, what does he say? He says, anus... Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And I know you all have tried to resurrect your adolescence in the morning. You go into the bedroom. Johnny, get up and make your bed. Well, it's, you either need the power of God or a taser. One of the two. You think about this. The, it, literally, it reads, in the name of Jesus, or literally, this instant, Jesus heals you. He doesn't say, I heal you. He says, Jesus heals you. Notice the focus. And in the language, it's called an instant present. Peter expected an instantaneous healing. That's powerful. With great faith, instantaneous healing, arise, make up your mat. So he gives them this this active imperative, it's a command, make up your mat and walk. Now what do you mean by that? Make your bed? No, you've got to think about it in context. Where was he? He was out begging. He was laying on the mat. This was his place of business. This was his place of income. And what he's saying is, get up, make up your mat. You're not going to need this anymore. Roll it up and walk. You're set free. You have life. Now you think, well, where did Peter get that? Well, he got it from his teacher, Jesus. Mark, chapter 2, verse 11, where Jesus would say, I say to you, pick up your pallet and go home to the man at the pool of Siloam. You look at that. He just ministered like Jesus. He learned from Jesus. He was empowered by Jesus. And he served like Jesus. And he called the the man to arise and have life. He healed like Jesus. The ministry that you do is not your ministry. It's the ministry of Jesus Christ. You were doing it on His behalf. And empowered by Him. Through the Holy Spirit do that and you'll see amazing things happen. In Luke 5:24 we read but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins he says to the paralytic i say to you get up pick up your stretcher and go home. In both instances with Jesus and with Peter within this what was the implied command you're not going to need that anymore. It'd be like saying to the person that is ridden to a a wheelchair, get up and walk and give away your wheelchair. You're never going to need that again. Get up and go back to work. You don't need to be on disability anymore. That's a miraculous healing. And you think about that. That's the power of God to do that, to call the person to arise and, and to go back to that life, that healing within that. And you say, well, that's a powerful miracle. Why do you do more? Keep in mind, miracles were given to establish testimony and witness so that you have faith in God. Miracles are not given so that you believe in miracles, that, you, that, you, that your faith is based on miracles. The problem is those that only focus on the, the, faith, the faith based in miracles only are always going to have to pursue more miracles. A greater miracle. And so what ends up happening is you start trusting in, in this miracle or the instance of a miracle rather than trusting in God. And what happens if God does not do that miracle? Well, people that only trust in miracles and don't trust in God, their faith crashes because they always have to find that other miracle. They always have to find that new sensation. They always have to top it. The miracles that were given were given to authenticate the message that Peter was preaching, that the power of God had come. Notice what Jesus says in Luke. He says, So that you will believe. Pick up your bed, your pallet, your mat, go. It authenticated the message that's within this. What was the result of, of this particular miracle? Notice it it had its effect. Verse 35, all who lived in Lydda and Sharon, that valley region, they turned to the Lord. All meaning every single person? No. It it just means that there was this great movement of faith as a result of what? The testimony and the power of God. That the power of God is here. That the gospel message is authentic. That Peter was empowered to offer healing and hope. And that's what he did. That's what we're called to do. You are empowered to offer healing and hope to the hopeless. You are empowered to bring the presence of God into a hopeless situation so that people will have hope. Is it always going to turn out in a physical healing? No. But will it have the ability to encourage them spiritually? Absolutely, yes. Because it allows that person to take their eyes off of their current situation and put it on an eternal perspective. That though this body may perish, my life is in the hand of the Lord. We look at the second event that happens in 36 to 43. Where this same Peter continues on in ministry in this next account is a healing from death. This resurrection of life. Within this. And we've been empowered to give the hopeless life. You say, well, I haven't raised anybody from the dead lately. (laughs) I don't know many people that have. But actually, I have. We had somebody this week come to faith in Jesus Christ to go from living dead to living life. You all have the power to bring life to somebody. It's not the physical, it's the spiritual by sharing Jesus. And, and it answers a lot of questions. Man's greatest enemy is death. Because for the unbeliever, death has victory. For the unbeliever, death finally wins when it takes your life. But for the believer, death has no victory. Death is already lost. Sin and sickness unto death, for the believer, that has no hold. Why? Because Jesus conquered death and he conquered sickness. When he rose from the grave, he gave us new life and had that victory over death. So a lot of people will have this question. Can a man live, or woman, if they die? And the answer is what? Yes. Absolutely yes within this because God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And he offers that life. Peter was convinced of that and he was bringing that that message forward and and we're representatives of that today. So we come to, to Joppa, verses 36 to 37, where there's a hopeless situation about to take place. We read here in 36, it says, Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is also called Dorcas. We have, remember Luke is writing to, to Greeks about a, uh, a Jewish woman. So he's using both terms. And this woman was abounding in deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. She was a believer, well loved, and she became sick and she died. So he gives us this overview of this woman that was abounding in deeds of of love and kindness. Death is always difficult to grasp for anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. When sudden death happens, a condition called bereavement takes place. What is bereavement? It means that you have had this sudden loss. Grief follows bereavement. But bereavement is the initial emotional response when someone dies. I've been bereaved. I, I, this life has been stolen. This this name Tabitha Dorcas both mean the same thing. <coughs> gazelle. She was a beautiful woman. Song of Solomon talks about the gazelle. It's a it's a word that describes. So, ladies, if your husband says you look like a gazelle, it's a compliment, not an animal to be hunted. So, and, and she lived a godly lifestyle, her acts of kindness, benevolence, especially to the widows that we read a little bit later. Why? Because the widows depended on benevolence of others. So she was a very kind, loving woman. She lived in Joppa, and, and as we read. Joppa is this coastal city. You'll remember Joppa because there was a guy named Jonah. That went there, right? Didn't turn out so good for this guy. We've been to Joppa. Joppa is a, a seaport. Its modern name is Tel Aviv Yafo. And we, we've we been to this. In fact, it was amazing. We came out of Joppa and we started heading north towards Caesarea Maritima. And I couldn't believe like Intel and all of the other like Silicon Valley people are there, which is really weird to me. You know, I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is like days of Jesus. We're coming around. It's like, no, this is days of technology. Oh, my goodness. Very, very rich within this area. Anyway, so Dorcas, she falls sick and dies. The believers wash her body and they place it into an upper room, which is really weird. You say, well, Carrie, why is that weird? Because in Jewish culture, when someone would die, they would wash that body and the same day they would bury them. Put them right in. Jews do not embalm bodies. they would put them into the tomb, and if you wanted to visit the body, you would go to the tomb and you would visit the body in the tomb. Not this group of people. They took the body and they put the body in the upper room upstairs. Why? Why did they do that? One of the cultural norms was the fact that in Jewish culture, when someone would die, they would wait about three days to really consider them dead. They believed that the spirit would hover over the body for a period of time and that the bo- that the spirit could come back into the body. Do you remember the account in Lazarus in John chapter 11? Where they came and they told Jesus that Lazarus is sick and it says that he waited a couple more days? Why? Because he knew he would die, but he wanted him to be Good and dead. Right? Not just a little dead. All you Monty Python people. Bring out your dead. Good and dead. So he gets there. He says, where is he? Well, he's in the tomb. We'll roll away the stone. And Martha says, by now he stinks. Roll away the tomb. Didn't I tell you that you would see the resurrection and life? So Dorcas, she dies. Now, the the account tells us that she was there, and the believers were there. They washed the body. They put her in this upper room. Why? I believe because they were expecting a miracle. Now, Lydda is only 11 miles away from Joppa. It takes about three hours to be able to get there to, to, at, at a walking pace. right? So they would be three hours. These two disciples would said, go get Peter. We know he's in Lydda. We know he's done a miracle there. We've got the rumor and the, the testimony what's going on. Go get Peter. He's been with Jesus. Was it a hopeless situation? Not for the believers. They had a little bit of hope, a glimmer of hope. Go get Peter. We don't know what he's going to do, but he's our only what? Hope. So they had the right trajectory. Go get Peter. Three hours there. Peter, we finally find him you got to come with us. Three hours back. So six to eight hours. She's been dead a while within this. And, and Peter comes to this place, this upper room, looking for hope. And, and we think about what do people do when crisis happens? They look for somebody to bring them hope. They look for somebody to bring them encouragement. When you're in the midst of crisis and you are all over the map, you are looking for somebody to bring a settling into your heart. To shepherd them, to be a pastor for them. That's you. To be available. You say, well, Carrie, what can I bring? You can bring Jesus within this. We are God's representatives to bring hope in the midst of crisis within this. So he comes back. Peter is coming back. He hears this news. They say, come without delay. And he comes back and he comes to find these mourning widows that were there. Why were they mourning? This is the woman that had shown them great kindness, met their needs. And they said, look at the tunics and the garments. In other words, we were without clothes and she clothed us. She she made these clothes for us. It's not like she was a commercial seamstress. She was making clothes for the widows in this kindness. They loved her and they were mourning over her. And and rightfully so, because these widows were hopeless. But the believers said, well, let's see what Peter will do. Peter comes in, sends them all out, verse 40. Why? Because he realized that this was God's calling upon him. The power of God was upon him to heal and to give hope and to give life. He, he moves this grieving crowd out and goes into this room. And you say, well, why did he move the grieving crowd out? Why? Because he's seen Jesus do it. Because the miracle was not about the, the resurrection ministry of Peter. He was not building an empire to himself. He had been with Jesus. He had seen Jesus do this. You say, well, when did he do that? Do you remember the centurion's, Jairus's daughter? Mark chapter 5, verses 39 to 42. says, entering in, he, being Jesus, said, why make a commotion and weep? Which, to me, is not a very kind question. <laughs> Daughter's dead, why are you crying? Please don't ever do that. That's not good bedside manner. Jesus got away with it. But he says, why make the commotion? The child is not dead, but asleep. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered into the room where the child was. We know in Luke's account that the companions were Peter, James, and John. Took along his own companions, and they go in, and he says, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha cum. Which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old, and immediately they were completely astonished. What is Peter doing? He's doing what he saw Jesus do. He's serving the same way that Jesus served. In fact, he practically uses the same words. And he pushes everybody out. And he kneels in prayer. And he says, "Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, arise." What a powerful, powerful message within this. And he he takes the little girl by the hand and he raises up. Can you imagine being Tabitha? Though, I got to thinking about this. Sometimes I get a little twisted in my thinking. Like she was in Abraham's bosom, right? So she's like, "Hey, you know what? This is a good place. I'm good." And then all of a sudden she opens her eyes and she sees a fisherman. Really? Dang it. Kind of like Lazarus, you know? I'm good. Oh no, I'm in a tomb and I'm wrapped up in bandages. Thanks, Jesus, for making me an object lesson. But it wasn't about Lazarus. It's not about... Tabitha, it's about the message. What is the message? If a man was to die, will he live again? Is there a power greater than death? And the answer is what? Yes. Yes. And so he raises her up, calls her by name, raises her up, takes her by the hand, and presents her alive. That is the power of a resurrected life. That is amazing within this. This physical representation of a resurrection gives us an eternal hope. Why? Because at some point in time, unless the Lord comes back and raptures the church, which I believe is imminent, but if he delays his coming, waiting for someone to be saved, and if that's you, you better get saved because I'm tired of being here. You're going to hear a voice that will call your name. And call you to arise to heaven. He will call you by name. He's done that for a number of the saints here at this church. Calls them by name. And says arise. And then Jesus presents you alive. To his father in the throne room of heaven. That is the eternal hope that we have. The confidence that Jesus has power over death. He presents her alive to who? To the widows. Why? Because they were the ones mourning. They needed hope. He says, you don't need to mourn. There is a power greater than death. And His name is Jesus. And this is proof that you can trust in Jesus for everything. The same way Elijah gave the son back to the mother in 1 Kings 17. Same way Jesus gave the son back to the widow of Nain, Luke 7, 15. This miracle of the resurrection provides hope. Whatever hopeless situation you think you are in, it is not hopeless. Whatever condition that has caused you to be paralyzed by fear or despair, you don't have to remain there. Because there is one that is greater than your condition within this. His name is Jesus. And the world is looking for someone to bring that hope, and that is you. To help people find that hope. So in the name of Jesus, help the helpless. In the name of Jesus, provide hope, healing, and life. Do ministry the way Jesus did. Because you've been empowered to bring that hope, healing, and life to so many people. Will you do it? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to hear Your Word, to be encouraged by Your Word. Lord, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, to do that work. And You've called us all to be ministers of the Gospel of Peace for so many. Lord, may You move us to those that are in need. Use us to call them by name to arise and live To arise out of their sin, sorrow, and suffering. And live a glorious life that begins now and will last for eternity. And if that's you this morning, that inkling in your heart, that feeling that you have, saying, Carrie, I'm hopeless, but you're providing me hope. God's calling to you right now, by name. Your answer is, here I am, Lord. Save me. God, I thank you that you're doing a work even now. As we close out this time, may we honor you with our voices in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Why well, might you just stand and let's celebrate our God who saves?
1: The His waiting for us now. Come and see what He has done for us.
2: Tell the world of
1: His great love, our God. Endured. He holds the keys of life by Lord Death. Has no seek the no final word. A God is a God who saves. A God is a God who saves. A God overrides. A God overrides. A God overrides. He reigns now and forever God, arise Let God arise Our
2: God reigns now and forever
1: He reigns now and forever I got
2: be your witness unto salvation now as a church may we go out in the power in the name of Jesus to bring hope, healing and life to those that are hopeless, to lift them up to restore life eternal through the name of Jesus be on mission we praise you and we thank you God for all that you're doing, may everything we do today and, and this day forward make you smile in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56 523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scapoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.